But as we start, I just ask you to go to, to the Lord in prayer with me. Lord, we surrender all. We think about our ways. Think about our timing, our desire to know. When we think about Paris and what's going on in the world at this very moment around the, the world, and we don't understand, we don't know. We know that you will bring good from evil. We know that you are all powerful. Father, we know that the people who appear to be who appear to be in power in ISIS and in the Middle East are evil. And we do not understand how you could have good purposes in using them. But we surrender all. When our eyes see evil, we know you are good and we do not confuse. We refuse to confuse who you are with how life plays out. You are good. Would you bring good? Would you release the hold of uh, extremism? Would you release the hold of, of Islam? Would you bring into the hearts of the people who see the, the evil and wickedness within the, their own place, uh, Lord, a desire to, for something more, a repentance of heart? Lord, would you move in the, the very uh, streets of Paris at this moment, taking the people of Paris and the French in general, Lord, and, and bringing a, a, a spirit of awakening as your spirit washes over them, would you help them to turn from their old ways and their wicked ways and turn to the hope? Lord, we pray for Christians in France right now that you would fill their mouth with messages of hope and truth and grace from you and that you would move by the power of your Holy Spirit in churches in Paris that have met in these last hours, maybe we'll be meeting tonight, who will definitely be ministering to friends and neighbors who are broken hearted. And Lord, we know that this scene is repeated day after day all around the, the world. And our hearts ache to be home with you. And yet we do not lose hope. You are good. And so we pray for help, Lord. We can pray in this place. And so we pray that we would be faithful in this area. We can take the opportunity today with, with the freedoms we have and make your name known in the streets of Sheboygan. What a beautiful thing it would be to pay our respect to what's happening around the world and to be faithful to you in this place right now, day after day, that, that when tragedy comes, we don't first put, for, put forth a, our, our next foot of obedience, but instead we, we don't wait for tragedy to come. But we are faithful to you now. And so I, I pray, Lord, that we would have insight to know how we can support um, missionaries around the world. And we pray that you would um, encourage their hearts, lift them up. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, welcome. Glad you're here today. It is a privilege and honor to really worship with you. We are in the middle of a series in Habakkuk, and we're taking a a break for a a week as we focus in on Stewardship Sunday. It's a 
once-in-a-while kind of opportunity, once a year, sometimes less than once a year, when we focus and ask ourselves, what does the Lord teach about money? Now, sometimes when we open the Bible and we talk about stewardship, we talk about your time. You can be a steward of your time. You should be a steward of your time. True. Sometimes when we open the Bible, we talk about stewardship of your gifts, how you serve, and the way that you're put together, and the way that uh, you have a burden for certain kinds of ministry. That's a good thing to talk about. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about your money. We're talking about my money. We're talking about the Lord's money. That's really what it comes down to. And so what we want to do is take a look in 1 Chronicles 29, and we want to learn from David and from the Word of God what we can learn about how we handle the Lord's resources for the Lord's glory. And so that's really what we're about today. So hopefully you have your notes open before you, and more importantly than your notes, though there are some really uh, interesting facts and figures and all that sort of stuff, More importantly, by far than that, is that you would have your Bible open before you, and we're going to be in 1 Chronicles 29, verses 6 through 20. So I'm going to read that for us at this time. 1 Chronicles 29, starting verse 6. Then the leaders of fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had freely offered to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory And the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God. And praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people? That we should be able to thus, that we should be able thus to offer willingly. For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. And there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. 
In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. And then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers. And they bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. Guys, as we, as we kind of delve into this and move into this study, you know, we don't typically like to talk about money a lot, but, but the Lord likes to talk about money. We see, you see in your notes, 2,300 plus verses in scriptures that talk about possessions and money. Jesus talked about possessions and money 15% of the time, more than he talked about heaven, more than he talked about hell. He liked to talk about wealth. And he knew that he, he should teach us and how to handle the wealth in this world in such a way that we were being faithful to God. And he wanted to teach us that the wealth of this world would not get a hold of our hearts. So again, if you're, this is the first time you've been with us, we don't talk about stewardship or about money every week, but we do want to talk about it faithfully. And so as we look at First Chronicles 29, we, we really want it to teach us the way we should go. Guys, for every one of us, when it comes to money, it's hard to obey the Lord. No one wakes up and says, I want to live this day out with a little bit less money. And that's what tithing is. Give your money to the Lord. So that doesn't doesn't occur to a lot of us. Take a look at this video. Yeah, I I think it was guilt, you know, a lot of guilt. But then I think at the same time, it was like, you know, I'm hoping to someday. So you try to, I think in my mind, I did justify it that way. And just saying, you know, there'll, there'll come a time. You know, when we'll get that way and we'll pray, we'll pray about it, you know, pray, Lord, you know, hey, bring us to the point where we have enough, you know, cash so that we can actually tithe where there's actually stuff extra after bills. And I think if I remember correctly, you were kind of looking at it, too, is God wants us to be responsible. You know, paying my bills. Come on. Give me some credit for that. Right. Laura, I do want to tithe thing. I have a good heart. You know, you know, you go through all that kind of stuff, trying to not feel bad and guilty. And I think that's what it was. And I was caught in there. But again, at that point, I just felt finally under that sense of conviction that, okay, and it was just the Lord working again. Okay, you know, it's like a put up or shut up. You know, are you really, do you really believe this or you just say you believe this? Talk about being obedient in that area, even as a single mom. Did I have to sacrifice? Maybe I thought it was a sacrifice when I started it, but there still was always enough there. There was always enough. I looked at that divorce, you know, the the settlement that would come out of that, that I wouldn't have to worry about my future. I'd be set. Well, God had something else in mind. So to that girl out there who's a single mom, who's facing a future with limited resources and a desire to give, what, what would you say to her? Trust and obey. Just that simple. Just trust and obey because God is the provider, it's not us. He's the one who provides everything that we get our income from. I mean, in my business, I keep having these like, wow. And then it's like, thank you, Lord. You know, because he does provide. 
He does provide. You do it, and, and it, it's not because it's a law, it's not a rule, it's a, it's a out of love thing because we have to trust him and he'll provide for us. Ownership is a very big thing for me. I think if you ask most people, at least most people in the church, they would tell you that God owns everything. But I think we know that academically, we know that intellectually, but I don't think we normally live that out in our day-to-day living. Or we think that God gave me this job and I give my tithe to the church and then everything else I have, I can do with what I want. And what we don't realize is that God owns it all. And while, yes, we do give part of it to the church to support that ministry, that the rest of it is his as well. And we should be looking to him to help us determine how we should be spending all of it, not just part of it. So in First Chronicles chapter 29, David has come to the point in his life where it's time to do something amazing and beautiful. You know, he, uh, he has become the king. He's lived this hard life, you know, from the fields of, of Bethlehem as a shepherd boy, and he's now in the palace, and he has uh, accrued some wealth. But it's time to build a house for God. He lives in a house of brick and mortar, and the Lord convicts his heart that, hey, man, God doesn't have a house of brick and mortar. You know, they had been wandering prior to that, and they uh, had the tabernacle while they wandered, and they had not yet built a temple for the Lord. And this was their opportunity to build a temple for the Lord. Now, you know the, the story. David wanted to build the temple for the Lord, and he was a man of blood. In essence, he was a military leader. And God said, David, I'm not going to allow you to be the guy who actually builds the temple for me. Let's let that be Solomon. And so David was sad about that, but decided that what he would do, in fact, in this text, if you look back in 1 Chronicles 29, read the whole thing, he's basically saying, look, Solomon doesn't have any, he doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, I'm going to have to help him. Let me spoon feed Solomon. So that's what he does when he, he says to the people and uses it just his example, and he says, we are going to amass everything that Solomon needs to build the temple so that when it comes time to build the temple, all of the money, all of the building materials, it's paid for and we're ready to roll. And so David basically in First Chronicles 29 is saying, okay, I'm going to give the first gift. And, and the gift is going to be known and it's going to be set out there and people are going to see what, what I'm doing in terms of giving. Now, let me just say a couple things before we... Before we start unpacking some of the lessons, David lived in a time where the people of God understood a tithe. He, I'm sure, because the law was over him, he, he tithed his whole life. The tithe is not primarily something that God asks of you and me that is a rule to be kept first. In fact, if we look at the concept of the tithe, it came into being long before the law came into being. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham wins a military victory. Abraham is out there, and if you remember the whole story, Lot gets taken away. Abraham runs after him. He gets Lot back. He defeats the enemies, and he gets all the spoils from war. And as he's coming back home, the king of Salem comes out. He's a king and the priest of Salem. His name is Melchizedek. And Abraham says, oh, man, you're a representative of the Lord. I want to give 10% a tithe of what I just won in this war to you to use in your priestly duties as you lead 
the city of Salem. So my, my point is that his heart was to give 10% a tithe even before there was a law on the books that said that the people should give a tithe. In the United States of America, the average evangelical over the last 40 years gives about 3%. And I just want to split hairs for a minute. You can't tithe 3%. The word tithe means tenth. So you could give 3% if you like to. And by the way, if you're struggling and just starting out, there's nothing wrong with, with starting at a place where it's, it's hard and you're learning and you're trying to ramp up to full obedience. We get that, right? But the concept of the tithe is that I bring 10% to the Lord. And that isn't just the law. But it is rehearsed and underscored in the law. The last chapter of Leviticus is kind of helping everybody understand all about what the law is. And in the last, like, eight, ten verses of Leviticus, um, we, we have Moses writing to us and saying, guys, the first thing you grow in your field, I mean, the first thing, it's not like you take everything in from the field and then portion it out and decide what you can sell for the most amount of money and take what you, what you then want to, and, uh, or if there's something left over and you give some to the Lord. That's not the idea. Leviticus is saying, that here's the law for you. The first 10% of what you grow in your field, that belongs to the Lord. Don't, don't do anything other than bring it in to him. And your first 10, you know, one-tenth of all of your, uh, of your animals, bring, bring the first one in. Bring the first one in. In fact, he's careful to say, if the first one is like, is like perfect and you'd rather not give that one to the Lord and you kind of try to buy some kind of a replacement, bring them both to the Lord. And the concept is the first fruits of everything we have comes to the Lord. So that's David's life. David's life has been, I give ten, the first tenths to the Lord every time. Here he is as the king of, of Israel at this point, and he has a unique opportunity to give above and beyond the tithe. He and the leaders of Israel have not just gone into this moment where they've given 10%, and, and as, as Sean shared in that video, kind of spent everything else on themselves. No, they've also amassed money, in essence, in the bank. This gift that he's bringing in is this one-time cool opportunity, glad-heartedly bringing to the Lord because of joy is a big gift. And for whatever reason, the Lord decided that he wanted written down how much David brought into the house of the Lord. So he, he brought like six to eight billion dollars. It's a pretty big gift. And as he sets the example of an $8 billion gift, then the leaders around him start bringing in gifts. And the people around them bring in gifts. And the whole gift to build the temple was someplace on the order of $16 billion. It's going to be a good temple. It's going to be good. It's for the Lord. But the concept is that here David is, all of his life, 10%, 10%, and he's given to the Lord, and he wants to give to the Lord but he's also amassing money. It's not wrong to amass money in a bank account, even as you give to the Lord. Now, I don't know if he gave t- more than 10%, but I know the law taught David to give 10%. Now, let me just go ahead real quickly so we can kind of shed some light, and then we're going to go back and unpack First Chronicles 29. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus continued to encourage this practice. Matthew 23, verse 23. 
Jesus says, guys, don't neglect the tithe. Continue to bring it into the house of the Lord. Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of the week, come on, man, set aside a portion. And this concept of portion, then later Paul teaches and says, look, don't let it be a skimpy portion. Don't be small about this. Don't be stingy. And so we know the portion that Paul is teaching us to think about is is 10% and then some kind of mindset. And, And let me just stop and say this. I am not trying to get you to give more to the church. That is not my heart in this. My heart in this is is flowing out of Malachi. The the Bible tells us in Malachi that that Malachi brought a charge to the people of the Lord. He says, guys, you're, you're robbing God. We're robbing God. And the people said, what do you mean we're robbing God? Our consciences are fine. And Malachi says, well, in the area of of tithe, we're not even doing the the minimum. And as I said to you earlier, in the United States of America, the evangelical church since World War II has given about 3%, and that hasn't changed. We live in the richest nation in the world at the richest time in history, and the typical Christ follower brings about 3% to the Lord. If, if I make $37,000, I make more than 96% of the people in the world today. 96% of the people would look at somebody that makes $37,000 and say, they're the rich one. They've got everything they need. They are loaded in every way. And, and, and yet, we live among a people. Now again, Malachi, Malachi is saying to the people of the Lord, let's test the Lord in this area. Let's try him. In fact, the Lord says, test me in this area and see if I won't be faithful to you. That as a people of God, what if we have our hearts knit together in such a way that that we want to obey the Lord in this? That's where we get, remember the whole concept of the windows of heaven being opened? That's what Malachi says will happen if the, the people of God in general are obedient to the Lord. Several things will happen that God will open the windows of heaven and bankrupt heaven as he pours out blessing on his people who give obediently to him. God's going to open up windows of blessing on all of us as we obey the Lord in this. That's incredible to think that God, who's already amazingly generous, is going to give more. But here's the other thing. Let me say one thing on that. That doesn't mean he's going to give you back as much money as you give necessarily. If you give 10% of your income to the Lord and more because the Lord's leading in your heart, here's what I can guarantee about next week. You'll only have 90% of your money left. That's just a mathematical fact. I don't know what kind or how God's blessing will work. Maybe you'll learn that he owns everything. Maybe you'll learn that as you give, your heart is so changed and you're so full of gratitude for who he is that you're a different kind of person when you interact with your, with your adult kids or when you interact with your children because he's changing your heart as you give to him. So I'm not saying that if you give 10%, he gives 12% back. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, that in this area, he opens the windows of heaven and pours out blessing. And you know what else Malachi says? That the people around the people of God, that their eyes are opened 
And they see how great God is when the people of God give and when God opens the windows of blessing and pours it out on the people. Do you think in the United States of America we may be missing out on a blessing if we're characterized as giving 3%? And maybe the windows of blessing are not open as they might be as we continue to learn and grow and, and, and become more obedient in this area? Do you think I have a harder time? Do you think you have a harder time uh, telling about the greatness of God because the windows of heaven aren't open as they might be if we truly obey him in this area? My goodness, it is a beautiful thing to consider what God wants to do. And Malachi just reminds us he wants to open up the window and he wants to teach. He's not mad at you if you don't give 10%, but he wants you to live a life of blessing where you are saying to him, I know I'm indebted to you. This world and the money of the world is not going to own me. I am going to gladly give and I'm going to learn your ways as I do give. I'm going to be a totally, you're going to be a totally different person. And that's why I want us to be a church that gives. It's not because of the bottom line and the, the income expense report of the church. It's because of the blessing of the Lord and what we learn about him and what he teaches us and how the windows of of heaven get opened when we obey him in this. And so guys, all that to say, we have a free future as we obey the Lord in the area of finances. First way we're free is this. We're free in our future by, we're going to free our future by recognizing the greatness and beauty of God. Why would we give like this? Verse 10, therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. And we stop right there. And David says, listen, I'm not going to draw attention to the size of the gift that I just gave. God wants it recorded for his purposes, but I'm going to say to you when I have opportunity, David is saying this now, when I have opportunity to speak in the assembly of the Lord after $16 billion is brought in for the building of the temple, you know what he's going to say? Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Keep your eyes fixed on the greatness of God. He has done great things in delivering his people. He has done great things in providing for his people. David could say it, and he could give you an example time after time after time as God kept promises, as God helped his people. And if I were, uh, as I look at David's life, I could say to him, David, oh my goodness, you you were the shepherd in the field. You were the overlooked last brother. The king of Israel tried to kill you with a spear. You had trouble upon trouble in your life. How could you look at at God and say, well, he's faithful? You have all these problems with your kids where literally some of the kids were, were putting to death other kids, where there was open rebellion against him as a dad in the streets of his own city. There was trouble upon trouble. And all David does when he gets to to this moment in his life is saying, Oh, look at how great God is. He's so good. I don't know what kind of trouble you have in your life, but if you can stand in the assembly of the people of God, bring a great gift, and then say, forget the great gift. Look at God. He is so good. 
And the first thing that he underscores is that God is great. But continue to look down at verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power. God has all the power in the universe. Guys, I can't get my brain wrapped around all that's going on in the world today. But this I know. There is no power anywhere on the planet that has any influence at all except that it's come through and been sifted through the very hands of God. And everything that comes to be comes to be for his glory and he is going to use in his purposes because all power resides in our King and our Lord Jesus Christ and our Lord God the Father. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and he uses a particular word for glory there. And he's, he's talking about the fame of God's reputation. You could say it this way, that the fame of God dominates all human history. God is glorious. You can't write a history book. You can't live a, a life. You can't have a battle that doesn't, that doesn't have its implication coming from this, that God reigns over the earth and there are some who submit to that reign and love it and are learning to walk in it and there are some who resist it and hate it and try to go their own way and as David stands before the people he's saying guys you know what the Lord has done great things on our behalf establishing us here in Jerusalem bringing us into the promised land and great is his he is great And he is greatly to be praised. And so yours, O Lord, is the greatness, is the power, is the glory, is the victory. God takes every victory that he intends to take. There's not a battle someplace, someplace, somewhere, where God loses some battle that he intended to win. God is always victorious in everything he puts his heart and mind to. He always accomplishes his desired outcome so his is the victory and the majesty and in the majesty there is just this picture of a king coming in absolute in his robes and the the parade is coming by and every mouth is stopped and everyone stands up and everyone salutes and everyone sees the beauty and the majesty of that living king and david just stands up before the people and says look we gave a good gift here but look at who we're serving He's the one we should be focused on. Don't focus on the size of this gift. Focus on the king of kings. Focus on the one who is worthy of everything. Focus on the one from whom every coin that we have, we received. We received it from the Lord. It's his, and it belongs to him. And so we we free our future by recognizing that our starting point for generosity is God himself, or for gratitude is God himself. Look down in verse... um, Uh, 12, and then 13. As he comes to the end of this, and he's praying to the Lord, he says, and now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. I hope you give good gifts to the Lord, but even as you give them, that you're focused on who he is and what he's doing in the world at this time, and that your heart is this heart of thankfulness and gratitude for him not just monetarily, but for what he's provided in the the work of Jesus Christ. How he saw that you were bankrupt spiritually. He saw that you had nothing you could give him. 
He saw that he, he loves you and wanted to bring you back to be in right relationship with him. And you were never going to be able to earn that with your money or your efforts. And that while you were bankrupt spiritually, he sent the riches of heaven in the, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who paid your sin debt and mine on the cross and was raised the third day. Guys, it is an incredible thing to know that we serve that God. Some of us will say this, though. You know, um, I know that God wants me to be a giver, but uh, I'm really reminded that he wants me to be a cheerful giver. And I'm not real cheerful about giving. And so the Lord doesn't want me to give. That is bad logic. I've heard some people say, you know, I, I don't want my giving to be, you know, dutiful. Don't make it dutiful. And I say, oh, please make it dutiful. Not because the church needs your money, but because duty is the glorious, beautiful place to start. When I come before the Lord and he convicts my heart and I get that these concepts and these principles are for me, and I start realizing that it is going to take such a sacrifice to start doing it, as I said earlier, guys, it's hard for all of us to do this. And as I begin to bring my will into submission, and I think David would stand and say, look, I I started in duty, but as I've given to the Lord and I've learned of his ways and I've realized that everything, he, he says in this passage like five times, everything belongs to you. Everything has come from you. I don't have one dollar that I earned of my own. Anything I have, whether you're the, rich, the richer person with lots in the bank or whether you're the poorer person that, that is just scraping by, everything you have is from the Lord. And so we start with duty and glad obedience. And in essence, it, David says here in this, in this uh, passage, as we become more and more focused on the person of God, the joy will come. Uh, Quick illustration. You know, uh, when I eat carrots, I have to tell myself to eat the carrot because I would rather eat a Big Mac. So it's snack time. And Big Macs are better than carrots. That's the bottom line. So I eat a carrot. And last week I ate uh, two bags of baby carrots, or, or one full bag of baby carrots, and I'm into the next one now. And I'm telling myself, this is good for me. This is good for me. This is good for me. And I'm telling myself this, right? I'm starting to believe it a little. Sometimes now, when it's time to eat the carrots, there's a little bit of joy. It's very little, but it's there. But you know when the joy comes? And I can talk to some of you who have been disciplined in the area of eating carrots and not eating Big Macs for many, many years. When you are seeing the goal come into clear vision for carrot eating over the course of time, yields a thinner waistline or it yields less pain when you move it yields a healthier you and so the joy is not just in the eating of the carrot but it's in the result of what takes place as you do that over the course of time and you begin to look for those beautiful little orange baby carrots they're not cheetos they look like cheetos but they're not cheetos (laughs) And you realize that there is joy in obedience. So we, few, we, we free our future, we choose gratitude, and we see that God has been so good to us. We free our future in a second way. 
by humility. And so free your future by humbling yourself before the grace of God. Look at verse 14. But who am I? What is my people that we should be able to, to, to thus to offer so willingly? Guys, why would God use you and me to be able to participate in building the kingdom? Why would he let you have gifts and time? Yes. Why would he let you have money so that you can participate in the building of his kingdom? That is a crazy, amazing grace. So God gives you this great grace where he calls you to participate in building his kingdom and this is a privilege and we have to really see it as a privilege we're freeing our future by humbling ourselves before the lord verse 14 again but who am i and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own we have given you in other words we don't have one thing that we produced Everything we've given you, we're giving you, it's all come from you. It all belongs to you. And we're just giving it back to you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners. And as all our fathers, as all our fathers were, our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. And he says there basically, none of us are going to be able to live forever. Whatever wealth you amass in this world, it comes to an end the day you pass away. Rider trucks and rental units do not follow hearses. At some point, it's all over for you in this life. And God will give you dollars to use for his glory. As we amass the dollars, we got to make sure that we don't lose track of why the dollars are being built up. Can I say something to you there? It's not wrong to amass the dollars. I think we literally have in the United States today this sort of a, a, a problem where if somebody has a lot of money, we think negatively of them. David lived his whole life faithfully, giving the 10% according to the law. We know that he adhered to the law. And, and then when this one-time opportunity came to give above and beyond, he had billions of dollars that he had set aside to participate. And that heart is rewarded. It's not wrong to have a lot of money built up in your bank account. It's wrong if the money owns you. It's wrong if it changes your heart. It's wrong if you set your heart on the cash. It's wrong if it starts to to make you its slave. That's when it becomes a problem. But it's good and right for the people of God to amass appropriate levels of, of money saved up for God's glory as long as we're not fooling ourselves. Because if I tell myself I'm, I'm stocking up a lot of money for God's kingdom and I spend every penny on my kingdom, now i got a problem. Because the money owns me. David, when this opportunity came, was ready and free with his money to say, I, I amassed all this money. I was wise with what I saved up. I, I put all of the, the, you know, I got all the nuts ready for the, for the winter and I saved it up along. And now here's this opportunity to give. Okay, Lord, it was always yours anyway. And he gave freely. Three times in this passage, it says he gives freely. Often it says he gave generously and he definitely gave joyfully. And so here we have David giving. So guys, as we, as we kind of take a look at this, some of us might ask the question, okay, look, where do I even start? 
Some of us are really in tremendous debt. The average person in the United States of America is $35,000 in non-mortgage debt. So whether that's student loans, car payments, whether that's credit card debt, whatever that is, $35,000 non-mortgage debt. If we have 225 giving families in our church... Okay, I'm just going to tell you straight up. I asked somebody, how many giving letters do we send out? They said 275. I figure 50 of those or so are one-time gifts or somebody that gave money for someone to go on a missions trip or something like that. So I figure we have about 225 giving families in the church. If we are typical, we have in our church today uh, over $8 million in non-mortgage debt. We pay $175,000 collectively, a month. Over the course of 2015, we will have paid over $2 million in paying for yesterday's stuff that we consumed because of debt. Now, the giving to the local... I'm just going to tell you straight up, all right? The giving to the local church, if you include love and action and, and everything, is about $1 million dollars. And we collectively paid $2 million to pay for our lifestyle of yesterday, if that's where we are. And next year at this time, we'll be further in debt than we are now. Now, I'm not stepping on your toes. I'm not trying to get all up in your business. I'm saying if we are average, if we are typical, we're paying more by twice as much to pay off non-mortgage debt than we are giving to the Lord. And I'm just saying, that's not what Scripture teaches us to do. So where are we going to start? How are we going to start? Take a look at this video. It's easy for us to look at the past and make it our present. And when we dwell in the past, we can't see our present. And when we dwell in the past, we live with our past habits. But when we dwell in the present and look towards the future, then we will create different patterns. Because it's so easy to get caught in, I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. Because I'm like, okay, I've got all these credit cards with this terribly high interest. There's got to be a way to get some of them at a lesser interest, and then I can make my bills. And they said to me, there's absolutely no way out of this. You have to declare bankruptcy. I said, there's no way I'm going to do bankruptcy. It's not right. And she said, there's no way out of this. And I said, yes, there is. I have to make more then. You know, and and that's when I really became very careful about what I was spending and really looked at and I created a budget and I created a, this is all I have for this and this has to pay these bills and this has to go for tithing and Um, I mean, all of that was all part of it. It's because I worked harder because I knew that was my responsibility. I knew I was the one who screwed up. It wasn't anybody else. You know, we worked with one car Mm -hmm. for a lot of years. With There's four (laughs) of us, you know. We had one car. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I think you, you don't have to have all the stuff. Get out of debt as quickly as possible. Establish the tithe as soon as you can. Right away. Out, you know out the gate and stand on that conviction together and just, you know, just grab on and trust God. 
come to the Lord right where you're at right now with the debt you have. Give him that debt. Mm-hmm. Give him what your finances are. Ask him to change your heart toward mm-hmm. you know accumulating wealth and looking at his kingdom work and what's most important. And then start giving now, even if it's just a small amount. Um, ask God to help you find someone who can help you maybe consolidate your debt or things like that, and start giving and start getting in the practice of living that way. But really, is a it really is a heart thing. And I know for myself it's the same way. If I take my eyes off of what God's wanting to do and the kingdom work that God is doing um, and my relationship with him growing, then it's easy for me to start trying to take back the money. But when my eyes are on him and I'm looking at serving him and living with a kingdom perspective, mm-hmm. then the money belongs to him. And there's a joy in the freedom of desiring to give. And that how, instead of thinking, how much do we have to give, um, mm-hmm. I want us to have the perspective, how much do we get to give? How much can we give to, to um, further the kingdom work around the world, however God leads us to do it? So, I mean, the, the scriptures are, are full of statements to us about the principles of God in this area, and it might be really hard to take the first step. Let me just say a couple things that, that, that the scriptures teach us about how we are to honor God. We've talked about some of them already, so we'll go rather quickly. God owns everything, and, and nothing is yours. Whatever I have is on loan. You've got a piece of property. You've got a second car. You've got a house. You've got a, anything you have is on loan to you from God. If the Milwaukee Museum uh, got uh, something on loan from the Louvre and said, okay, we're going to put the Mona Lisa up and we're going to ha- have her and, and, and 10 or 12 other pieces of, of property. Let's say, let's say they have 10 pieces of beautiful art. And they say, you know what? We're going to be faithful with, with 10%. We, we are going to be really faithful. But the other 90%, we're going to let the kids just enjoy that. You know, bring them on in. And, and at the end of the day, they say to the Louvre, well, you know what, the Mona Lisa, man, she, she got hammered. Those kids, they really, really, they ripped her up. You know, no, of course not, because the Milwaukee Museum has to be faithful with everything. The concept is it's on loan because it constantly and consistently belongs to the museum in Paris. And the same is true with your resources and mine. It's on loan to us, but God remains the owner. We're called to be faithful in it. He owns it all. We are his servants overseeing his stuff. So we steward. And uh, the unfaithful servant in the New Testament, remember that whole parable that the Lord taught? The unfaithful one was the one that took what the owner Uh, gave to him and could produce no more with it. And the faithful servants were the ones who took what the owner gave to him and increased it as they lived their life. We recognize that the the Bible teaches us that to be in in debt for life is slavery. There's nothing wrong necessarily with using debt for a little while when you have a plan to get out of debt. But the Bible, the only words used of debt in the Bible are slavery, imprisonment, foolishness. Okay, and I've had, I've had friends come to me and say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in mortgage debt my whole life because we'll look at this tax deduction I get if I stay in debt my whole life. Because, you know, if you, the whole interest thing on your mortgage loan. But at the end of the day, guys, 
the scriptures say that the borrower is a slave to the lender. I'm not saying that because I'm mad at you. I'm not saying that because you're doing something wrong. I'm saying that to you because I want you and me to walk in the freedom and the blessing of God's word together. That's what I long for us to do. I want the windows of heaven opened up. I want you to experience the blessing of God that is not only financial, but it's what you learn about God when you obey him and you have this aha moment in your life and you go, you know what? Those principles of scripture, I don't know about you, but I can find that I can just kind of wander off and do things on my own and make myself believe and, and, and justify in my mind a lot of weird decisions that I would make and then look up in a year or two and go, you know what? I wasn't obeying God in the area of giving at all. I wasn't obeying God in the way that I'm handling my finances at all. And I just want better for you and for me that we would be a place where we say, you know what? I'm going to avoid debt because the word says that it's a bondage, that it's a, it's a jail. And, and I don't want to live my life in bondage, spending today on what I, what I, what I consumed yesterday and, and not being able to give the way maybe I, I want to give. I want to just say we've got some resources to help you. Maybe in your notes, you're jotting ideas. One of the ideas I gave for the last service is to say, maybe right now your, your big goal is to get through Christmas without credit card debt. That's a great goal. Nobody wants a present. I, I shouldn't say that because I'd love a present. If you go into debt for the present you give me, sadly in my sin, I'll take it, Right? But truly, we don't want to go in debt for Christmas. We celebrate the birthday of the King of Kings by going into debt. Come on, man. So right now, you can, start, you can start budgeting a little bit. You can start putting cash in your wallet. You can start deciding that you're not going to go into debt for Christmas. But after Christmas, in January, we, we've got a, uh, a consumer class that we're going to help. And this class is amazing. We really want to put it out there to coach all of us together on how to grow in this. But if we're going to use the one I think we're going to use, in the first 90 days, the average person pays off $5,300 of debt and saves $2,700 in obedience to the Lord. So in the first 90 days, there's an $8,000 turnaround if we use the one that I'm, I'm hoping we can use. So we, we want to help you. We want to walk together. We want to encourage one another to obey the Lord in this area. And guys, then, I'm just going to say, free your future, lastly, by, by, gladly, by, by uh, gladly giving generous free will gifts to the Lord. This should be a joy. This should be a joy. Note that back at the Ten Commandments moment, There was Moses saying, bring in your gifts. Who is on the Lord's side? And Moses was in essence having to coerce people to bring the gifts. Note in this passage, there is no coercion. David says, hey guys, it's time to build a temple to the Lord. And uh, I'm going first, $8 billion. And then the leaders came out and said, you're going. It's time to build a temple to the Lord. I'm going. And the leaders who had lived their life faithfully, financially, wisely, said, take a look at this. And they brought an amazing gift gladly to the Lord. A free will, joyful, happy gift they brought into the house of the Lord. And then the people said, well, David, you're going to bring a gift, and the leaders are going to bring a gift. The people all said, we're bringing in a gift too. And they brought in a a gift, and together this huge gift, which was more than enough to build the house of God at that time. 
no coercion. It was free will. It was joyful. It was a movement of grace by the Holy Spirit in their midst. And they walked with him together. Guys, it is a beautiful thing to be a generous person. Your life will change as you live your life in such a way that you can give good gifts. And, and I'm learning that, and a bunch of you are learning that and could speak to it way better than I can. But I'm just saying, it's my heart that we would be a, a congregation where we have such joy in giving. It's my heart that we would, we would test the Lord in this matter, not so that the churches income increases. That's not our goal. The church's income will, will increase as the Lord does what he does, but our goal is that we have these amazing windows of heaven that the Lord opens because we're obedient in this area, because we are, we are indebted to him, and we are so thankful, and our hearts are turned to him in every way. We love him, and we're giving out of gladness, and we're giving out of thankfulness, and we're giving because our hearts are turned to this good king, His is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. He is worthy of our gifts. Let's stand as we close. Lord, we want to be positioned for once in a lifetime giving opportunities like David and the leaders of Israel were in this passage. And so our heart is that we would be obeying you in the tithe today and even obeying you in the way that we handle our personal finances behind the scenes. And Lord, as money builds up in some people's accounts, maybe not all of us, but some people have these accounts building up that the money does not grab hold of our heart. But we manage your resources with these open hands before you saying, Lord, we know it's all yours and we are not living for a bank account. It's yours. We are glad to give to you. And Lord, I pray for that one who who is just standing before a mountain of debt and doesn't have any idea which stone to turn first. I pray we'd help them. And they would see, like in the video, facing bankruptcy maybe. No, there's hope. Because God is good. Maybe there's somebody who's in the middle of just kind of chugging along and obeying you. I pray you would encourage them and you'd be wind in their sails. I pray that they would start helping people around them. And there's some people here who are further along in the process and they have money in their bank or their retirement account. I pray that they would not feel embarrassed about that and I pray that the money would not get a hold of their heart. But instead, Lord, it would be truly yours. And that, Father, we would be a place where we honor you gladly and obey you joyfully together. And that you would open up the windows of heaven, pour them out on this place, not so that we can have more stuff, but so that the people around us will see that our God is the living God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.